The following KOPN podcast is made possible by the generous donations of listeners like you. Please consider a donation to listener-supported community radio, KOPN. You can donate securely on our website at kopn.org. Hi, welcome to Food Sleuth Radio, where we help you think beyond your plate. I'm Melinda Hemmelgarn, a registered dietitian and investigative nutritionist on a mission to connect the dots between food, health, and agriculture, and find food truth. And today is my absolute pleasure to welcome Mike Calicrate. He is the owner of Ranch Foods Direct. He's based in Colorado Springs, Colorado. He has been a rancher for decades, and he's an outspoken advocate for the consumer, for the meat industry, as we wish it was, as well as an animal advocate. Mike, welcome. Hey, I'm happy to be on, Melinda. Well, I wanted to speak with you. I heard you speak in 2008 at a Rural Life Day. There was a conference in Jefferson City, Missouri, and you spoke about the concentration that's going on in the meat industry and how that affects small farmers and ranchers. And then most recently, you came out with a good article called Pink Slime, the Dark Side of Industrial Food System Exposed. And I thought, we should have a conversation about what's been going on and what you've witnessed in your years as a rancher. Tell me about what it was like to be a rancher back when you started. Well, I graduated from Colorado State University in 1975 with an animal science degree. And it's important to know I didn't say an animal husbandry degree. It was animal science. And so I really was educated in the industrial production model of food. And so I operated in that model, and I went back to St. Francis, Kansas. I built a a 14,000-head capacity feedlot there in northwest Kansas, the first one in that northwest corner in in Cheyenne County, and was a very busy guy. 14,000 head is is small compared to the the big, massive yards of today, the 130,000-head capacity operations like JBS at Yuma, Colorado, and mm. there's a lot of other big ones around the country as they, they become more concentrated. But but I, I operated that cattle feeding operation for about eight years, and, and I, I used all the implants, the hormones, the feed additives, the, you know, the, the Remensen, the Bovatec, the Ionophores, the Tylen, Everything you could do. I, I mean, it was a, it was a, you know, you had to compete. You had to be the low cost producer or, or you couldn't, you couldn't stay in the business. But I got a real wake up call in about 1988 when I realized that my education was wasted time and money and that I was playing a fool's game in producing livestock into a, a marketplace that was totally rigged. The big packers were, were cooperating. They were not competing. They had now concentrated the industry to where most of us only had one packer that we could sell to. I hadn't seen the XL Cargill buyer for eight years at one point there. And I just got very unhappy about what I had done in my career. And so I just went along. I fought. I, I tried to organize. I, I you know, wasn't getting a lot of help from many folks. But 1996, I decided to go to a meeting in Amarillo, Texas, where we were discussing the possibility of suing IBP for anti-competitive practices. And so that did happen. We we ended up suing IBP. It was a short time after that. I got boycotted by the Packers. I had to close down my cattle operation because I couldn't sell my livestock anymore. And I re- I'll never forget that call to Dan Glickman, uh, Secretary of Agriculture, in 1999 when the Packers wouldn't buy my cattle. I, and 
it was Glickman's job to enforce the Packers' Stockyards Act of 1921, which was passed to break up the monopoly Packers back in those days when Upton Sinclair wrote the book The Jungle. But the law had never been enforced. And, and I asked the, uh, Secretary Glickman why he didn't enforce the the law. And he said, well, you know, Mike, in these days we're dealing in a global market, and, and you've got to be a really big company to do business globally. And that's why we're not going to go after these big companies. And, you know, of course, that didn't help the little guy that couldn't sell his cattle. Right. Uh, but, but Glickman did, in fact, make ConAgra, which had bought the Montfort feedlots there at Greeley and the big Montfort packing plant in Greeley, Colorado. He made them buy my cattle. He made them buy them all over the next 90 or 100 days, and then I closed. And, and I sat there for about a year stewing and decided this isn't right. I'm going to start, I'm going to, I'm going to create an alternative food system, at least my version of one in my community, in my region. And, and so I started Ranch Foods Direct. And that was really my last resort. I mean, the courts had failed us by then. We'd already, well, we hadn't gotten into the courtroom yet with the IVP case, but the courts weren't doing anything to help us. Justice wasn't doing anything. And we hadn't been successful legislatively. But as it turned out, about four years later, we did end up in a courtroom in Montgomery, Alabama. We won the lawsuit against IBP. We were awarded $1.28 billion. But that isn't what we cared about. We cared about making them stop manipulating the marketplace because they were taking that much money from us just through their anti-competitive practices every month. I mean, it, and the jury, the jury agreed. We didn't award the cattlemen near enough money, but we didn't have a formula that would allow us to give them any more. But what happened was, uh, and of course, the thing we were really interested in is, is fixing the marketplace, hoping for good injunctive relief that would make the Packers compete again and, and bid in the open market. Well, that didn't happen. The judge reversed that jury verdict and, in fact, took the $1.28 billion award away from us and made us pay Tyson's court costs of 80000 bucks. So we, we went from getting $1.28 billion to paying $80,000 in one of the biggest insults ever in the justice system. I mean, this was the most important case in agriculture in 100 years, mm-hmm. and it got turned over by a federal court judge, a Reagan appointee, by the way, who didn't believe in regulation. And so that case worked its way forward, and we ended up losing the appeal at the 11th Circuit, and we went to the Supreme Court. We argued that day in the Supreme Court that they should hear this very important cattleman's case for fair markets. And the court said, there's two cases before us. There's the cattleman's case, and there's Anna Nicole Smith's family feud case. We're only going to hear one. They heard the Anna Nicole Smith case and threw us into the Tyson meat grinder, where we have remained ever since. So I've been going along here with Ranch Foods Direct, trying to create the alternative food system. In that recovery process from the industrial model that I was trained in to where I am today, I had to think about what if I had to be responsible for the steak that was on the plate, the hamburger that was on the bun that that child was eating, what would I do differently? And so I applied everything that I knew as far as how to produce cattle well, including the right genetics. And, and I tell people all the time, it's, it's not what we do that makes our meat so good. It's what we don't do. We don't have the steroids. We don't have the antibiotics, the feed additives like Zilmax and Optiflex, all the antibiotics that, that the big industrial guys have to have as a crutch to make their system work. And it's just spectacular what happens when you get rid of all that junk. 
and how good the food is. And so we've, we've got a nice following. We're, we're in eight school districts uh, this year. Come fall, if no one else jumps on, we'll, we'll be in 12 school districts. We've got over 100 uh, restaurant accounts, not counting 19 Chipotle restaurants that we service here in Colorado Springs in Denver. And we're excited about the possibilities of building this alternative food system that serves the farmer well and also the eater. Now, do you find that when you do try to sell your product to institutions that they say, wow, you know, we'd really love to buy it, but it costs a little bit more? Yes, uh, we run into that all the time. You know, what we've found is oftentimes it doesn't cost any more, but when we show up, the competition's price goes down. So Cisco, for example, would, would be in an account. I'm thinking of one in particular. They come in, if we go into the accounts, we might even be lower than Cisco on a, on a frozen uh, hamburger patty. Of course, ours is all hamburger, and theirs isn't necessarily all hamburger. We know that from the pink slime stories. And, of course, they'll argue it's beef, but what about the anhydrous ammonia that's in it? And so they compete with a product that's inferior, and then they are not less expensive unless we show up and compete with them. And then they'll drop the price down to below their cost of production. They will predatory price the competition out of business. And and so when you think about how do we build the alternative food system, if we don't address the predatory practices of big food companies, we cannot build this system because people are so price-driven that that you really can't, can't compete. You can't get the business and keep it. And then, then we've got this, the cases where we, we lost a bid in, in one particular new restaurant that was built here in Colorado Springs. We were competing against Cisco. They paid the restaurant a $3,000, this is their, the restaurant's term, $3,000 kickback. And they came in with a price the same as ours. A year later, they were 30 cents higher on that same product that we would have still been the same price on. So there's all kinds of bad things happening. But we know, Melinda, from what has happened in the last couple of weeks, that the government is not watching. The government is not. They're regulating the, the little guys out of business rather than policing the big guys to get them to make them do the right things and, and to keep them from doing the wrong things. And, and so, you know, we've got a deregulation environment except for when it comes to the small guys who get harassed by the USDA and the big guys get to do anything they want to do including break the antitrust laws. It's, it's, it's illegal to predatory price, and, and it's, it's illegal to rig markets and fix markets. And, you know, when, so when I go into business and I have to sell to a restaurant, I raise the cattle, and I buy from neighbors that, that produce under the same protocol, and we, we finish them there at my place in St. Francis. But we've got to pay our costs of production. You know, we, we can't buy cattle below the cost of production or we won't have any cattle. We won't have any neighbors anymore. Right. But Cisco and their big meatpacker friends go out there all the time and buy cattle below cost of production. And so they've got that advantage. And then they work the, the, the economic refugee labor force. They pay them below a living wage. They get subsidized corn that, that taxpayers help pay for. They import cheap stuff. The press prices here. This is the most ridiculous situation in the food business you can imagine. And food being so important to our national security, 
our ability to feed ourselves. We are not free if we cannot feed ourselves. That's right. And right now we're importing around 20% of the beef we consume. <laughs> we are totally dependent. Not totally, not 100%, but we are dependent upon foreign commodities to feed America. And it's because these big corporations search the world for the cheapest of everything, including labor, and then sell that product in the highest consuming markets. And they have just destroyed rural economies. We've got half the kids in our schools in St. Francis, Kansas, that we had 35 years ago when I first started. And we've got dying towns all across the Midwest. And the cities are jobless. And, you know, we've got some serious healing to do. But first, we have to acknowledge we've got a problem. And, you know, you talk about 2008. I'd written that article that you read in 2008. And that reminds me, that was Obama's election year. That's right. In which he promised to fix a bunch of this stuff that we just talked about. He has done absolutely zero in any of those campaign promises. He has not fulfilled any of them when it's related to food, farming, and agriculture. Let me ask you, I really believe that if consumers would work in solidarity with farmers, ranchers, food producers, that we could return to the kind of food supply that we'd feel good about eating. I want to ask you what I can do and what our listeners can do to support the kind of food system that you want to see, that the kind of food system that you've created. I spoke to a Rotary on Monday, and, and, these, and one of the people at the Rotary said, you know, it's too late. Everybody is moving into the cities, and rural America is emptying out, and it's just too late. There's no way we can – there's nothing we can do about it. And my response to him was, well, we're not going to have any choice but to do something about it because we're, going to, we're just simply going to go hungry. And, and the, the industrial model, after the 40 or 45 years that it's been in place, has proven that it does not work. Mm-hmm. And and they can they can holler and scream all they want with the U.S. Farmers and Ranchers Alliance and and with with all the Farm Bureau BS that's out there. They can talk all they want, but the the fact is, the industrial model has failed to deliver good, healthy food that keeps people alive and and keeps communities prosperous. They've totally failed, and and so we have to recognize the need first that we need a, an alternative food system, and that's where you come in. Is, is informing people about that need. And, I mean, we're, we've got news today that, that LDL, the supposedly bad cholesterol, right. is good for you and, in fact, prevents cancer. I mean, we have been lied to for so long that it's going to be a hard job to get people's attention to support the alternative food system. But something that I think is pretty exciting here in Colorado Springs, you've seen interest in other parts of the country, but this idea around food hubs, Mm-hmm. Go into a city, right into the very center of that city. In fact, go into an area of the city that needs renewal and build a Milwaukee public market and add to that a food hub where, where you've got meat processing, you've got smoking, you've got, you know, you've got your hams, your prosciuttos, your charcuterie, you've got a place you can make uh, cheese. Just bring all that food activity right into the heart of the city, like at the Pike Place Market uh, or the Ferry Market. But add this additional component of processing and call it a food hub. And it's connected then to the retail space that city dwellers can, can come in and buy their food and get reconnected to that farm and, and where this livestock comes from. The thing that really does, too, for a farmer is it lets him farm 
and he, and he gets to sell his stuff in, in much higher volumes to where now he can start making a living. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have destroyed the alternative. We've destroyed the old food system. You know, we were just talking this week about when Cargill bought a meat plant to shut down or Smithfield bought a pork plant in South Dakota, for example, and they shut it down. They gutted it. They took all the equipment out. They took the rails out. They made sure nobody would ever reopen that plant again as a meat packing plant. And so our old system that served us well 50 years ago has been dismantled. Mm-hmm. And so we are in the process of rebuilding that system. And in fact, at St. Francis, Kansas, we're, we are using a mobile slaughter unit to kill our cattle. My ranch is 200 miles away from my meat processing plant here in Colorado Springs. And so now instead of hauling a live animal all the way to Colorado Springs for slaughter, I'm able to haul the carcass. That's 35% less weight. That's right. So that's efficient. And and the animal's happier, too, because it doesn't have to make the trip. Let me just interrupt one moment, Mike, and let me remind our listeners that we are speaking with Mike Calicrate. He is the owner of Ranch Foods Direct in Colorado Springs, Colorado. He is an independent cattle producer. He's a business entrepreneur, and he frequently speaks all over the country about rural and social impacts of our current food system and what's happening with regard to current economic trends. You know, Mike, one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on was because you had a response to this pink slime incident, and the industry, of course, calls this lean, finely textured beef. It was given the the term pink slime, which was absolutely brilliant, because what it did was we, we created a term that created so much disgust that people put down their, you know, they turned off their televisions, right? And they started paying attention to what was going on in the food system. Very important to pay attention. And you wrote an article about it, about how pink slime is the dark side of the industrial food system. It's been exposed. Now what? Right. And if they go to my blog at MikeCalicrate.com, you can click on that and read that article as well as a bunch of other stuff. And you can also see what we do as far as this alternative food system. But I'll tell you, Melinda, we need that kind of a term for GMOs. Yes, we we do. We need that kind of a term for highly refined white flour. We need that same term for high fructose corn syrup. These are the things that are causing the heart disease, the diabetes, the cancer, the Alzheimer's, all of the degenerative diseases that have plagued our country and are costing us dearly. Well, we simply can't afford to pay the bill that it's going to take at the hospital and medically uh, speaking. There's no way to pay this bill. We have to get back to a real food system, and we have no choice. And and all we can do is, is I, I mean, these pink slime events are an absolute gift. Because yes, they it are. engages people. It really gets them engaged, and now they're listening. And so everywhere you go to eat now, people are saying, yeah, is there pink slime in the meat? Well, you know what? The restaurant operator didn't even know it was in there. That's right. Because it's not required on the label. And, and so there's going to be a lot of stuff coming up here. There's going to be a major battle with Farm Bureau and their United States Farmers and Ranchers Alliance, which is one of the most deceptive marketing campaigns out there. They're putting the family farm face on industrial agriculture. That's right. So the more pressure we apply, the more resistance we're going to face. They've got all the money. They've got all the power in, in Washington. But we have all the votes. So we need to get the right people elected. I know it's hard. I've been at this thing a lot of years. 
It's hard, but you got to keep at it. We can rebuild this food system if we can get the support. I've always said what, what we feed grows and what we support prospers. This is so we've got to get the attention of the eater. But the problem is they don't have the options in most places to even support their local farms. That's right. Because the processing infrastructure has been dismantled and, and taken away. Well, so you just got to do the best you can and, and, you know, support the farmers the best way you can. Well, Mike, how did we get here? You know, I, part of the, the issue that always rises to the surface is this issue of cost, right? We like our dollar burgers at the fast food outlets because they're cheap. And yet what that's done is it's created the kind of food that we'd rather not know what's in it. And if we can keep up with that illusion then we're all happy. So when these pink slime events come up, all of a sudden it's like, oh my gosh, that's in my meat. I didn't know. Maybe we'd be interested to know what else is going on behind the scenes. Well, I want to have that conversation. Dr. Acuff, who was on that panel uh, with the governors there in the BPI thing uh, last week, he said, boy, it sure would have been nice if we could have talked about this before these people lost their jobs. And I, I offered Dr. Acuff the, the opportunity to discuss a lot of other things, like advanced meat recovery, where the backbone, neck bones go into a machine and pink paste comes out. I offered Dr. Acuff the possibility of talking about Zilmax, about these aggressive implant programs where where the, the same chemical compounds that athletes are banned from using in baseball are used to produce our food animals, which our children eat in the hot dog at the ball game. Exactly. I mean, let's start talking about this stuff. Of course, they don't want to. They're going to hope to keep it covered up. But but we've got to keep talking about it. And and as when the public does find out, there will be some changes made. But you you asked what happened. When did it happen? It happened when people became aggressive price shoppers. It became it happened when they stopped buying locally. When you buy local from your friend, from the person you sat next to in church from the parent of a child that's on the on your kid's soccer team, you don't go beat his brains out on the price of anything. You do business with him. He does business with you. Everybody's happy in a community. But it happened when community broke down, when community was eliminated in favor of big shopping malls, suburbia, and aggressive price shopping, the coupon shopping. Everybody spent their life looking for the cheapest thing they could find. And, of course, we outsourced manufacturing. We lost a lot of the basic job and wealth-creating industries that were in our country. We're not we're not recovering in this economy until we bring those things back and start growing our own food. You mentioned Dr. Acuff. Do you want to just let our listeners know who that is? Well, Dr. Acuff is a scientist who came to the defense of the American Meat Institute on this pink slime issue. And he came to the defense of Beef Products Incorporated, BPI, Eldon Roth, and his companies. And he was just saying that, hey, it's okay. You know, this is parts of animals. I mean, the fact that, you know, you normally don't eat these parts. Maybe they go into pet food or rendering or something. They're okay. And and the fact that we're injecting and hydrous ammonia, which is a deadly gas chemical compound, the fact we're injecting that in there isn't all that really isn't that big a deal. And, you know, he downplayed it. And he's, he's, a, he's a Ph.D. He's a scientist. He's supposed to know better. But he's owned. He is owned by big industry. And I'll tell you, Iowa State University is coming out in defense of the pink slime uh, issue. Well, doggone. I mean, they're supposed to be a land-grant university. Land-grant means 
It's supposed to build community, not destroy community, not run farmers off the land. And so we've really had our whole land grant system stolen from us by the big money of the of the big global food companies who go in and give them a million bucks and essentially own a taxpayer-funded university. Now, when did pink slime exactly go from dog food to human food? It was about 1991 when that actually happened. And I remember being at, you read it in my article that I wrote this last week, but mm-hmm. Bob Peterson, the CEO of IBP, the, the company I sued in 1996, well, I was on a panel with him at the Governor's Beef Conference in South Dakota uh, that spring, and he got up, and he was the first speaker of the day, and, and he got up and he said, you know, we got this really cool technology where we can extract 11% lean from pure white fat. And it, I thought at the time, how disgusting. Wow, how do you compete with something like that? Uh, I mean, the local butcher shop, the locker plant in town, they certainly can't do that. You know, and, and when we run a lean test on our ground beef, you know, what does that mean? You know, when, when I have to compete against a product like that. Of course, I wasn't into ranch foods yet, so I didn't have as full of understanding of it as I do now. But, but I was very troubled by that when he said it. But yet he was very proud of it. And he, he talked about how that was worth about $7 per head to IDP. Mm-hmm. And so that's when it really started. And, and, and the other thing that drove that whole lean pursuit was making fat bad. Mm-hmm. Boy, you talk about a major mistake. I mean, major folly, acting contrary to the interests of your own of your body. Low-fat diets are not a good thing. And and but our nation had decided that low-fat was a, was important. And and of course, uh, Eldon Ross' process of extracting lean from fat and selling the fat off for cooking oil or whatever else, biodiesel whatever else it may be, was the popular thing to do at the time. And so the technology was welcomed, and it got fully implemented. Well, and I think, too, when we created animals that no longer grazed and ate more of their diets from corn, we saw a change in the kind of fat that the animal had, much more of those omega-6 versus omega-3 fatty acids. So it's one of those quick and easy terms to say all fat is bad when really from a nutritional standpoint certain kinds of fat are better than others and well exactly but the industry was shifting us from real fat to fake fat we were we were looking at the hydrogenated vegetable oils now from soy and corn and 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 other cheaper sources than animal in fact and they wanted they wanted to shift us onto these other fats that they were claiming were more healthy and in fact, they are—they are—they are what is making us sick today. Well, so, I want- yeah, you're you're exactly right. I, we've got to. There's a there's a lot there's a lot of fats out there that that are way way better, and than what we get out of this industrial livestock production system. And as you know, Melinda, part of the problem with fat is it's it is where the good stuff is stored, those nutrients that you just mentioned, but it's also where bad things are stored. And so when you're feeding these cattle bad things from antibiotics to steroids to hormones. How about the arsenic in the chicken feed? That is where this stuff gets stored. Mike, I want to thank you so much for being my guest today. And we have covered so many topics. I want to remind our listeners that they can go to your excellent website, read your noble reports. That's http colon double backslash noble dot mike 
calicrate.com or you can go to www.ranchfoodsdirect.com and learn more about Mike's ranch and the principles that he stands behind. We've been speaking with Mike Calicrate. He is an independent cattle producer, owner of Ranch Foods Direct, business entrepreneur, political activist, animal advocate, and people's advocate. Mike, thank you so much for being my guest today. Thanks, Melinda. In closing, I want to thank our listeners for being with us and remind everyone that Food Sleuth Radio is produced by Dan Hemmelgarn at KOPN Studios in beautiful downtown Columbia, Missouri. 